If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 23. So again, if you are a guest with us this morning, we have been going through the book of Genesis as a church. In the past several months, we've been in the section covering the, the person and the life of Abraham. And this morning, we come to chapter 23, which speaks to the passing of Abraham's wife and her burial. And so if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me, or you can follow along with the words above me on the screen. Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kareth Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered Abram, Hear us, O Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will hold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites and the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, son of Zohar, for he, gave, for he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, all who went in at the gate of the city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of your sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, may my Lord listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed the out of Ephron, the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Michpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area were made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. When I was in college, I attended the funeral of one of my friends and fellow classmates, Anthony who passed away suddenly from a brain aneurysm. I think this was the, the first person that I knew personally and knew well who had, had passed away. And I'll, I'll never forget the, the call that I got from one of, our, one of our friends who told me about his passing. And uh, the difficulty of this news was, was furthered by the fact that the Anthony had just gotten married to a, a wonderful woman who also attended our school. 
And uh, Anthony was young. He was, he was loved by everyone in the school. He was on staff at his local church. And he had, he had plans to, to go on to seminary after, after college. And uh, we, we went to a small Bible college. And so, so pretty much the, the whole school showed up for Anthony's funeral. Now, I'll never forget walking into the church auditorium filled with friends and classmates and all of us sorrowful, kind of silent, not really sure what to, what to say to one another. The, the atmosphere was one of great sorrow in that room that morning, rightfully so. And, the, and what happened at that funeral that day was, I would say, one of the most profound experiences of my life. The, the ceremony began, and, and the pastor got up, and he, he gave some introductory comments about the life of Anthony. And he gave one of the most beautiful and meaningful messages on the gospel and the hope that we have in moments of sorrow because of who Christ is and what he has done for us. And I remember the, the Spirit of God moving through that room that day. And after the pastor finished, a, a few people stood up and they, they shared about the life of Anthony and his, his love for his wife, his love for Jesus, our love for him. And they talked about the, the joy that we knew Anthony was experiencing in heaven in that very moment that, that one day we would all experience together. And, and then after this, they sat down and the, and, and the band came up to the stage and, and we spent the next 30 minutes worshiping God together. And when I say that we, we worshiped, I don't, I don't mean that a, a piano quietly played while we, we mouthed a few words to some hymns. We, we worshiped. If you were with us last week for our Easter Sunday, that's, that's kind of what worship felt like that day. People standing, worshiping, singing, clapping, um, worshiping God together. And uh, in the midst of worship, I remember opening my eyes at one point and, and looking forward to the stage where Anthony's casket was. And standing next to the casket was his wife, who was worshiping. And she was singing, praising God with, with, with hands held upwards, dancing, singing in, in joy to Jesus, her Savior. It was, it was one of the most extraordinary things that I have seen in my life. The, the faith that she had, the hope that this woman had in the midst of very real sorrow. And that sorrow was real. The, the, the days and the months and the, the years following his death were filled with, with tears and, and sorrow, and, and many dark days. Uh, God has been good to her. He, he has blessed her, but, but loss like that never really goes away, right? The sorrow was real. But in the midst of that sorrow was a hope and a faith and a joy and even worship, which was also real. And, and it was made possible by the confidence that she had and, and we had on that day in Jesus and in the gospel and in the faithfulness of God and his promises. And I would say that, that I look back on that day as, as one of the defining moments of my life and in my confidence that the gospel is true and that the promises of God are real and that they are powerful. 
And friends, our our story here in Genesis 23 is, is given to us by God, I think, to instill in us this type of hope and confidence in God's faithfulness speaks to the, the very real sorrows of, that we experience in life. And it speaks to the, the confidence that we can have in God and in his promises. And my prayer this week has been that God would use his word to, to strengthen us and give us faith this morning and to equip us to journey through life with joy and confidence in him. Here's the main idea that I believe God is, is getting at for us in this chapter is that the faithfulness of God extends beyond the sorrows of this life. The faithfulness of God extends beyond the sorrows of this life. And we're going to look at three simple points this morning. First, the death of Sarah. Second, the faith of Abraham. And finally, the hope of heaven. So point one, the death of Sarah. Our passage begins with the account of the, the passing of Abraham's dear wife, Sarah. In, in verses 1 through 2, it says, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kareth Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. The death of Sarah is a significant event in scriptures. Sarah was arguably the most important woman in the Old Testament, and she is, she is mentioned all throughout Scripture, and she is, she is often looked to as an example of faith, an example to be followed. In, in 1 Peter 3, it, it speaks of not only Sarah's outward beauty, but more importantly, her, her inward beauty, her, her living in obedience and her, her valuing what is worthy in God's eyes. In Hebrews 11 It speaks of her as a a great example of faith and who placed her trust in God above all other things. And so as we come to this story uh, and her passing in this chapter, it's it's right for us to honor Sarah as scripture honored Sarah. And we ought to seek to follow her as an example of faith. And of course we do this even knowing that Sarah was not perfect. She had her moments of lapse of faith. She had her moments of failure. Remember in Genesis 18, her her laughing at the promises of God, of of her coming son. And uh, we remember in in Genesis 16, her her mistreatment of her servant, Hagar. We know that in addition to some of her failures, she also experienced her fair share of sorrows in life. She suffered the the cultural shame of childlessness for over 90 years before the Lord finally gave her a son. She had been trapped in two different king's harems on two different occasions because of her husband's cowardice. She had, provoked her, she had been provoked by her servant girl, Hagar. She had, she had seen her husband leave, or she'd seen her, her son leave with her husband um, to be sacrificed on the altar. She had, she had lived for years wandering in foreign lands, wondering if God's promises were really going to come true in her life. And she had felt the, the sting of her husband's failures many times. She had suffered many trials. She had failed often. But she was a woman of faith, and she was honored in the sight of God and, and by the saints of old. And the age of 127, she died. 
And in verse 2, we see the great grief of Abraham at his wife's passing. Because from the, from the beginning of their story in Genesis, she had been by his side. They had gone through so much together. They had left their home and followed God into the unknown. They had, they had seen great successes and they had experienced great loss. They had walked through many disappointments they had, they had worked through serious failures and struggles in their marriage. And while, while Abraham certainly had not been a perfect husband to Sarah, he loved his wife. So the passing of his wife would have been a crushing blow to Abraham. They had, they had spent their life together trusting in God and following him towards his promises. But now... She had passed away before they saw those promises fully come into being. They had seen God be faithful in many ways, but they had not yet been given the land that God had ultimately promised for them. So Sarah died while they were still sojourners in a foreign land. And it was, it was not lost on me as I, was, as I was reading through this passage this week that the death of Sarah comes immediately after Abraham's great act of faith that we saw in last week's chapter. Remember the incredible act of trust and obedience that Abraham showed in chapter 22. He was was willing to sacrifice his own son Isaac, the promised one through whom all the promises of God hinged. This is one of the greatest acts of faith that we see in Scripture. And in the very next chapter, Sarah dies before they saw the promises of God come about as a reward for that faith. Now, I imagine that for Abraham, it would have been easy for him to have said, you know, I, I give up. I am, I am done trusting God. I, I demonstrate this great faith And now my wife has died in a foreign land where we are strangers and we've not yet inherited the promises of God. How discouraging I imagine that could have been for Abraham. And church, I think that this is a type of experience that that many of us can relate to. Where we have fought hard for faith. We We have trusted in God in many ways and for many years. But we are met by disappointments and sorrows. Many of you have lived heroically in obedience to Christ. Not perfectly, but you have followed Christ well. You've made sacrifices along the way. But you have not yet seen the full promises of God come true in your life. And this can be hard, right? It can, it can lead us to ask whether or not, whether or not it's worth it. It can, whether it makes sense to keep fighting for faith when the promises of God seem so far off or maybe not coming at all. And many of us have, have felt this way at many times. Many of us may be feeling it even this morning. Maybe some of you here are, are grieving loss this morning and you're not understanding how God is going to get you through it. Maybe some of you are, are suffering physical ailments and it seems really hard to just keep trusting in God when you, when you know that God can heal you, but he, but he hasn't done that. And the, the trials persist. Maybe some of you are, going, are dealing with ongoing disappointment in life. And it's, it's hard to keep going when, when it feels like God is withholding what seems like it would be best and good for you. 
These can be very real struggles that can, that can gnaw away at our confidence in God and his promises. But friends, let's continue on our text. I think that we are going to be filled with strength and encouragement this morning as we see the example of Abraham and, and his response to his very real grief and disappointments. And this leads us to our second point this morning, which is the faith of Abraham. In verse 2, we see Abraham grieving the loss of Sarah. The text says that he wept and he mourned. As we, as we talk about the, the faith of Abraham this morning, it's important that we, we don't brush past the appropriateness of Abraham's grief. It is not wrong to feel sorrow. Even as scripture calls us to joy and faith in life, it also acknowledges the rightness of grieving. Because this world is broken. We experience loss and pain, and the world is not supposed to be this way. And one day it won't be. But right now we live in brokenness. And so it's okay, and it's, it's good and right to grieve that brokenness. We ought to be a church that not only grieves, but also mourns with beside one another. It is good to, to weep with those who weep, Scripture says. Jesus himself did this. You, you remember, remember in, the, in the New Testament um, when Jesus wept at the passing of his friend Lazarus. Even though he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still wept. He, he felt the bitter sting of that sorrow. He, he felt the sorrow of those around him, and he, he wept. He grieved. This, this is the, the great example of godly sorrow that we see in the Bible. And we see Abraham rightly going through this himself. But in the midst of his grief, we see Abraham call himself to faith and to purpose himself to press on into the promises of God. We see this in verses three through four. Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, basically, the rest of this chapter is Abraham in this lengthy dialogue with the Hittites over purchasing this cave and this field that he would like to bury Sarah in. The, the next 16 verses are basically just this, this long negotiation between these both parties. They, they go back and forth between this seemingly kind of uh, confusing legal agreement. And, and on the surface, uh, this might seem kind of trivial to us and almost confusing that the entire chapter is basically given to this back and forth legal agreement. And I'll be honest, when I, when I first read this chapter, my, my eyes started to kind of glaze over at, uh, at, all the, at, all, at all the negotiations. Like I'm just, I'm just not interested in that type of stuff. I'm the, I'm the type of person that could probably be convinced to pay full sticker price for a new car rather than have to like negotiate over a few thousand dollars. Like I just, I just don't care. Give me the car. I'm just not interested in it. Uh, but as we look at the details of this verse, far from being trivial, we are actually given a great window into the faith of Abraham. And it is a wonderful example to us this morning. In verse 4, Abraham goes to the Hittites and he asks them to sell a piece of property fitting as a burial ground. And at first, the, the Hittites make this seemingly very generous offer to just give this cave and this field to Abraham. 
And it's, it's not completely clear whether they're really being generous or whether they're trying to soften Abraham to eventually paying a higher price for the field, which he eventually did. Uh, but regardless of their intentions, Abraham is insistent that he buy this cave. And in verse 16, he ended up paying 400 shekels of silver, which was probably much more than the property was actually worth. And, and he does so, it says, in the presence of all the Hittites at the city gate in order to make it clear that he has legally become the owner of this cave and the surrounding field. And here's why this is important. Abraham knew that God was going to one day give him this land and, this, and the surrounding land to him and his descendants. He had met with God. He had heard God promise to give him this land, to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he was so sure of God's faithfulness when he purchased this plot of land. And he did so because he wanted his wife, his, his dear Sarah, to be buried in a land that he knew that God would one day give to him. He didn't want to rent this land. He didn't want the land to be given to him, only to then be taken away later and have to, to move Sarah from this place. Now, he knew that one day God was going to give him this land, and so he wanted to secure this spot now so that she would be there when God came through on those promises. So far from being trivial, this is actually a great act of faith on Abraham's part. And at the end of, of chapter 23, it says that Abraham bought the cave in Michpelah, which was to the east of Mamre. Now to the east of Mamre, this is where God had first made the covenant with Abraham. This is where God had first seen and spoken with God. For Abraham, this was the, the epicenter of God's faithfulness to him. And it would become the epicenter of the promised land as well. So he knows that one day God is going to fulfill all of his promises. And so this is where he puts all of his hope. Abraham was in a place of grieving. The promises of God seemed far off. But his faith was not dependent upon his present circumstances, but rather on the promises of God. And the assurance that God would prove himself to be faithful. So he does not allow himself to grow bitter at God or, or to return back home, which I imagine could have been so easy to do. Instead, in the midst of his sorrow, he held fast to God. And church, there, there are moments in life where we're like Abraham. We need to rise up and call ourselves to faith in his promises. While it's right to, to grieve at the brokenness of this world and to feel the weight of its sorrows, we remain confident in the promises of God, knowing that he will fulfill every promise that he has made. And just like for Abraham, the fulfillment of God's promises, the full fulfillment of his promises, are waiting for us in a time that is still yet to come. And this leads us to our third point which is the hope of heaven. In verse four, when Abraham is negotiating with the Hittites, he said to them, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. In the midst of all that Abraham is dealing with, he's doing so as a stranger in the land, far from the comforts of it. 
For those of you who have ever moved or have spent extended periods of time away from home, uh, you can know the discomfort of that and sometimes the disorienting nature of that. Uh, I have moved a bunch of times in my life, and there's this one time that I was, I was moving to a different state, and on my travels there, I, I stopped at a friend's house for the night, kind of at the, at the halfway mark. And, and I went to bed that night, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night uh, and kind of in that, that dazed and confused moment you have when you first wake up, uh, I thought that I was already at my new house. And uh, this was somewhat to my dismay because there was this, this loud horn, this loud noise going off right outside my window. And, uh, and something like my, my bed just felt more uncomfortable than it normally did. And, and I turned on the lights and I saw that like the walls of my room were like this bright pink painted color. And, uh, and there was also this like, kind of bad smell coming out from like underneath the bed and uh and in this moment I kind of I in this moment of I kind of this panic where I still thought to myself that I was I was in my new house and I thought to myself like what what have I done like why like what is this noise outside my window how often does that happen why is my room pink what is that smell like why did I move here and, uh, but then suddenly, I remembered that this wasn't actually my house. I didn't live there. And in that moment, it was such a relief to me. Like, yes, the bed was still uncomfortable. Uh, the smell still made it hard to breathe. That, that noise kept me up all night. Uh, but I wasn't staying there. I was just passing through. Later that morning, I would be going to my real home. And this is kind of where Abraham finds himself as a sojourner, far from home, in a foreign land, waiting for God to bring him to the place that he had fully promised him. In the book of Hebrews, God's word speaks to the situation and the faith of Abraham. And it says in, in chapter 11, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham recognized that he was a traveler, a sojourner, passing through the land to a land that was still to come. And this gave him hope and strength to continue on even in the sorrows of life that he met on the way to that promised land. And in fact, Abraham himself would pass away before he saw God's promises fully come about. As would many of the saints in the Bible. Hebrews mentions in that same chapter many great men and women of faith like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses. And it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What this means, church, is that the promises of God for those Old Testament saints and the promises of God for us today ultimately point towards a future hope. Meaning that this life, 
And this world is not our true home. A better country is coming. A future city that God is preparing for us. And the encouragement for us this morning is that this life, though though it is filled with much good from God, it is not the life that our true hope is in. Something far better is coming. And isn't there something encouraging about the fact that this world is not our true home? Isn't it good to know that the, the sorrows of this life that weigh so heavily on us, they are temporary? Isn't it good to know that our bodies that so often fail us, they are going to be made new one day and there'll be no more pain or sickness or sorrow? Isn't it good to know that the day is coming when there will no longer be injustice or broken marriages or diseases? And, and of course, none of this is to say that we, we shouldn't make the most of this life and enjoy the, God, the good that God has given us and to serve and to, to live in joyful obedience to Christ. We, we should. God has purpose for us now. Remember what Paul said in the book of, of Philippians. He said, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. And he said, I can't decide which one is better because it's so much better to be with Christ in heaven But for now, God has us here, and he has purpose and ministry and work to be done. But what a comfort to know that that better day is coming, church. And for Abraham and for Paul, the fact that they weren't home yet, it wasn't reason to despair. It was reason to have hope and have courage and to follow Christ boldly in this life. The hope that we have in heaven is such an important part of our faith, church. In fact, most of the Christian life doesn't make a whole lot of sense without that hope. Because if the sorrows of this life and then, and then death at the end is all there is, and if Christ is not coming back, and if he's not going to make all things new, if our heavenly city is just a myth, then, then what are we doing here this morning? Why give our lives to following Jesus? What are we calling ourselves to faith in? We should be sleeping in this morning. We should be on vacation this weekend. No judgment to those who are on vacation this weekend. <laughs> but but that's, what, that's what our lives should be. We should be working extra hours to accumulate more money and more stuff before time runs out. If heaven is not real and Christ is not coming back, then the, the songs we're singing don't make any sense Christ isn't worth following. There's no reason to have joy at funerals. My friend's dancing at her husband's casket would be crazy. But Christ is coming back. Heaven is real. And for now, we are sojourners. We are passing through. And life and its sorrows will have been but a mist in the end. And then eternity with Christ in an everlasting city with joy unimaginable. That was the faith of Abraham. And church, here's the thing. Abraham hadn't even seen God's faithfulness like we have seen God's faithfulness. Abraham didn't know Christ like we knew Christ. He had little glimpses of that coming king, but the the full picture of God's plan had not been known to Abraham. The full hope of the gospel had not yet come into view. Abraham buried his wife in a foreign country, trusting God, 
but he didn't know the full picture of Christ and that he would one day be buried in his own grave to redeem his people and secure for us the hope of heaven. Remember what we celebrated last week. Christ rose from the dead and so will we. Sin and death have been defeated. Heaven has been secured. And, and our story this morning is not just a story of one grave. It's really a story of two graves. Sarah's and Christ's. And Christ has defeated both of them. And the price for Christ's grave was far higher than the price for Sarah's. The price he paid was the price of his own life. And there is no greater evidence of God's love and his faithfulness and his willingness to do whatever it takes to win for us the promises that he has given us than that. And while all this had not been made known yet to Abraham, it has been made known to us. We know Christ We've been given the word of God. We've been given the spirit of Christ that abides in us. We know how the story ends. And so how much more do we have reason to have joy and confidence in God this week? And we do so as sojourners, church. Our hope, our affections, our eyes are fixed on the next life. It is good to think of this often. It's good to long for this. We live now for Christ, but a better day is coming, church. As we finish here this morning, it's important to remember that we need God's help for this. Because it is not on our own strength that we hope in the life to come. It is not on our own strength that we rejoice through sorrows. It is by the strength that God supplies through his spirit and through his word and through his people as we gather together to fix our eyes on Christ. This is, this is a big part of why we gather together every week to, to call our souls and to call each other to remember the promises of God. And church, if, if, if you feel like you're having trouble having faith in these promises, if you feel weak in that faith, then confess that to God. Let us fix our eyes on Christ together. Let us pray for one another. Let us carry each other towards that lasting city. This is what we want to be about as a church. And by God's grace, he will help us to do so. And then one day, Christ will return. And he will fulfill every promise he has made to us. And sin and death and sorrow will be no more. And we shall dwell with him in eternity forever and ever. The end. That's how our story ends, church.